Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 24. Welcome to today's show. If this is your first time tuning in, the RV Entrepreneur Podcast is a weekly show where I interview nomadic entrepreneurs who are running some kind of remote business while traveling full-time. This podcast is different than most entrepreneur-related podcasts because the people I interview haven't launched multi-million dollar companies or have hundreds of employees. They're really just normal people who have started businesses that allow them to travel full-time and live a lifestyle they choose. This podcast is also unlike most travel-related podcasts because we don't really discuss travel tips or destination ideas, although those things do come up sometimes. It's more of an intersection between business, travel, and life on the road. It's a podcast for people who aren't just interested in a two-week vacation, but a long-term travel lifestyle. Today on the podcast, I'm interviewing Rich Charpentier. Rich has a blog at the AirstreamChronicles.com and owns a company called RLC Designs that focus on creating high-end web design and SEO for RV parks and campgrounds all over the country. He's been traveling in his Airstream the past 10 years while doing everything from professional photography to releasing his own digital products on the web. A few things we talk about on today's show are what Rich did when he was diagnosed with a severe allergy condition and his wife left him all in the same year. We'll also talk about how Rich has built up a successful client-based business all around designing RV park websites and how he finds new clients while he's out on the road. And we also talk about why if you're doing client-based service work, you're probably undercharging clients for the services you're providing. This has been hands down one of the most fun interviews I've done in a really long time. Rich has been doing this nomadic RV entrepreneur lifestyle for the past 10 years. So he has a lot of really awesome advice that we dig into in this episode. Let's get into today's show with Rich. Rich, what's up, man? How you doing this morning? Good. Thanks for being on the podcast with me. I'm glad to be. Glad to be. So where are you at right right now? At the moment, I am in Prescott, Arizona at Pointer Rocks RV Park. And uh, it's already heating up here. Yeah, I bet. Uh, we, it's just been dipping into the low 90s here in Montana, but that is totally okay with me. Because everywhere in the rest of the country, we were watching <laughs> the weather this week, and it's like insane red, like heat warning, stay inside. Yep. So I, I can deal with low 90s. That's not too bad. Yep, that's um, where uh, yesterday was 99, and uh, so we're working the air conditioner over. <laughs> so you've been on the road now in your Airstream for almost 10 years. You've taken professional yep. photos, done web design, and other various assortment of other tech-related things. But right off the bat, I just want to ask, what has kept you in this lifestyle? I've been full-timing since 2006, and um, I do enjoy it. Um we work from the road and we're still growing our own business. But for some medical reasons and other reasons, I've ended up full-timing for 10 years now. So it, it was it was an interesting transition because I, I used to be a person who lived in a 2,600 square foot house with five and a half acres of property in northern New Hampshire. So I went from uh, a, a big home to a 200 square foot Airstream. <laughs> Yeah, talk to me about. I mean, we've we've talked about this a little bit the other day uh, on our call, but talk to me a little bit about that kind of health situation that you were going through in 2005 and how that kind of pushed you into doing something different. Well, in 2005, I became extremely ill in January after a root canal, and um, we spent a year investigating with the medical community, and they were all scratching their heads and. 
In the meantime, I was running an 18,000 white count for an entire year and no one could figure out what was causing it. And um, we're, we're still working out all that stuff now. But uh, early 2006, I finally got a diagnosis, uh, uh, eosinophilic gastroenteritis and esophagitis. So big, crazy names. I didn't know what they meant either. Bottom line, I'm hyper allergic to a lot of foods in the galaxy now and some pretty severe allergies. At the same time I got my diagnosis, my now ex-wife gave me the divorce papers two days before my diagnosis because she was tired of me in and out of the hospital. So with all that thrown on my plate, it was a, it was a sad time and a transition, but I decided to hook up the Airstream and travel the country because what the hell? You know, you're having a bad time, you get all this bad news, um, you got two options. You can sit tight, curl up in a ball, or you can go out and try something different. So I opted for go out and try something different. Yeah. What did, I mean, what did those four years look like? Cause you said on your, on your blog that those four to five years were kind of a rebuilding transitioning type phase where they were still trying to figure out the exact proper diagnosis and all those things. So yep. what, yeah. What did those four years look like for you? What were you doing? Well, oh, well the first year I actually traveled the country. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I traveled with the owners of Airstream Life magazine, my friends Rich and Eleanor Lure, um, met up with them and went to Airstream rallies and um, hid from Airstream rallies after being exhausted <laughs> by them and uh, made some awesome friends in Montana, made friends all over the country. Um, that first year, I was adjusting to several medications and also adjusting to the fact that um, I, I couldn't go eat out with people. So um, the Airstream is really convenient because it's my it's you know it's my portable kitchen, um, so it actually allows me to travel. Uh, without it now, my old life I was with AT and T. I was director of network operations, and uh, in that old life I was flying all over the place. You know, so I was in a plane every week to a different part of the country, and um, so dining out at restaurants and. Uh, after after all this transition, I can't do that anymore. Uh, I can't go into a restaurant because the opportunity to go into anaphylactic shock is just incredible. <laughs> so so the kitchen comes with me. <laughs> so it, it was an interesting adjustment. I'm still readjusting because uh, this past year I found out I've got more new allergies. So we had to cut out more foods recently. Yeah, we were but talking. You just you work with it. <laughs> We were talking the other day just about the whole pizza thing and how you can't have pizza. <laughs> I just yeah really wrecks me that you can't. Yeah, but I haven't it, had a real pizza since two thousand and five. <laughs> oh, but you can. Have, can you have gluten free pizza or no? No. Well, um, we were doing soy pizzas, uh, but last year wheat was added to my list, so wheat is completely out. It's not just gluten; it's wheat. Period. Hmm. But um, soy is now out as well, so soy cheese, all that stuff is gone. Um, so last September was a new big adjustment because uh, the allergy list is literally two pages long, and it'll just keep it. Will will it just keep growing? Yeah, well, we got um, so since you and I talked, there's new news. <laughs> um, uh, I've actually returned to Prescott. We were up in Colorado recently, working with a client and visiting another client, and we returned to Prescott a couple weeks ago because it was time for medical testing. Unfortunately, um, I just got a phone call two days ago, so I'm I'm going to be lining up for uh, a surgery next week. <laughs> and um, we're gonna say goodbye to my gallbladder. Oh wow! <laughs> and with some luck, maybe this is part of what's been driving all these other problems. 
So I'm, I'm sitting around saying to myself, all right, this is a good thing. We've got some ideas here. Maybe I could have a pizza again someday. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I'll keep my fingers so, crossed for you, man. Yep, yep. Actually, when I'm done with this phone call, I, I've got to call the surgeon. <laughs> yeah. So in so, those in those uh, first couple of years, you were going to a bunch of Airstream rallies. Were you working at yep. this point or had you quit your job to go and do this and you were still kind of just taking time off to travel? Yeah. I had uh, plenty of finance in the bank. Um, my old my old life, I was a network engineer and then operations director. And um, so that was good income. So I did have some money on hand for the traveling. And at the time, I was not working for the first year. Um, but then, you know, year, years into it, yeah, you transition because, um, you know, the savings go away. Uh, you know, between medical practitioners, travel, and all the rest, you know, you've got to work still. So, and at the time that I hit the road, I was only 34. So, you know, way too young to be fully retired, right? How did you kind of go about figuring out what you were going to do next? Did you actually get a job first? Did you start trying to transition to do client work when you started getting back into doing work? When, um, when I first, uh, I arrived in Prescott, Arizona in 2007 and fell in love with the place. And I actually found this place because my GPS misrouted me. I was on my way back up to Colorado to go see friends and my GPS made me drive up a very scary road in Arizona <laughs> and I pulled into – I had white knuckles when I pulled into downtown Prescott. It's just like the windy, curvy mountain road where you're kind of looking over. It's like absolutely beautiful. Yeah, but it, it was also the road that I wasn't <laughs> supposed to be on. Yeah. Um, there's signs saying nothing over 40 feet and I'm looking around for, okay, where's the detour and all right, GPS, tell me where I'm going. And the GPS didn't help out there. And so, you know, 45 minute ride up, uh, 80, uh, route 89 from Wickenburg to, uh, Prescott, Arizona. And when I got into downtown, it was one of those, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. <laughs> and then the next thought was, I hope I don't have to drive down something like that too. And um, so I pull into downtown Prescott and I look around me and I say, wow, this is an awesome place. Um, so I found Pointer Rocks RV Park, which is nestled in the Granite Dells and just absolutely fell in love with it and called my friends in Colorado. And I said, I'm going to be delayed. Um, <laughs> and after a couple months of being here and making some friends, I got bored. So I took a part time job at Best Buy for something to do. <laughs> Yeah, I figured, okay, I used to build cellular networks. I, I think I could probably uh, help people at Best Buy. Um, over the course of that year, I was introduced to a couple of art gallery owners through friends, and I ended up buying into one of the local galleries and, um, and uh, working there for four years. So, um, so I was co-owner of a gallery. I was doing photography. Um, I was doing print reproduction for clients who wanted to do reproductions of their original artwork. And, um, you know, it was an enjoyable thing to do, but not great income. So, um, you know, worked for four years at that. I was still traveling with the Airstream to go do photography. And um, in 2012, I had an opportunity to get back into the real engineering work that I, that I do. So I did that. And that's when the Airstream did one of its major cross-country trips out to the West Virginia and Ohio area. 
Nice. And what were you doing out there? Um, database design for one of the gas and oil companies. So you might want to edit this part so that people don't throw sticks and stones at me. We were working with one of the groups that's doing the fracking. We, we weren't involved with that, but we were designing a, a tracking database for them. So I got a lot of heat from family and friends for, you're working with one of those companies? And I said, you know what? It's called earning a living. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so... Uh, right now the main work that you've been doing has been design. Like you're, you're, um, go ahead. Doing website design, uh, search engine optimization, social media. While we were traveling, when we really hit the road big time again, which was 2012, 2013, all the way to now, um, the one thing that we ran into, like traveling to New England to visit family was, I use my iPhone for everything. Everybody uses their Androids for everything. When I'm looking for a place to stay, I'm not breaking out a giant uh, Yellow Pages book, you know, like the Good Sam directory or Passport directory or any of those. I use my iPhone. I mean, don't you do that, Heath? Yeah, of course. I mean, we, yeah, I mostly use our iPhone to find places to stay and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, traveling through Pennsylvania, I couldn't find a park. I, it, it got to be, um, it got to be the, the point where the sun was going down, you know, behind me. I hadn't found a park because they weren't coming up on my iPhone. And in the end, I had to follow a little blue sign off onto a side road that finally led me down to a river in Pennsylvania where I could park for the night. And when I woke up in the morning, I realized, wow, what a seedy place. And I'm surprised that nobody kidnapped me and ran me off somewhere. <laughs> um, so born out of our frustration while we were traveling, uh, finding good RV park web websites, is we make a lot of our decisions based on, on what we see on these mobile devices. And it's not just us. Um, it's everybody today. I've got a 68-year-old father who was a truck driver for 30 years who always – said to me, don't tell me about the tech stuff, Richard. I'm a truck driver. He's running around with an Apple MacBook and an iPad now. Guess what he <laughs> searches for stuff with? So um, we've started, we started uh, reaching out to parks across the country, um, parks that we would stay at. Um, that's one of the big things with us. If, if we're not going to do business with you, if we don't want – if your RV park or other business – isn't something we'd want to buy from or stay at, then we're, we don't talk to them. <laughs> but um, for those good little mom and pops out there, um, people are searching for them on the web. And if the website's not mobile friendly and I can't read it, the back button is really easy to hit and move on to the next site. So we, we help parks and other businesses really get out there. So it's, you know, everyone says website design. It's not just website design. We, we, do a, um, we do a whole digital plan for our clients. So we, we look at their website, their search engines, um, their social media opportunities, and we actually teach them ways where they can reach out to people that they've never reached before. So we, our own work has been blowing our minds recently. The uh, search engine optimization we've been doing we get results for our customers in under a month. I, I always tell people that we work with, you know, don't expect Google page one right away. This takes time. And in under a month, we're getting them Google page one for multiple searches. So uh, it's been blowing our own minds. We, we've really gotten good at the SEO work. And we spend a lot of time for our clients 
to make sure that we're impacting their businesses massively. So I love I love so much that you guys are working on this business because it is such a huge need for RVers who are out there traveling. Uh, because as I've mentioned on this podcast several times, the RV industry is really old, you know, just not, I'm so not talking about people, you know, gosh, that came off really bad. I just meant this fact that like, <laughs> I guess, uh, they're behind in technology is a much better way to put it, man. I yes. said that really bad. Anyway, that's what I meant. So the, the technology is just lagging on so many fronts, both in the RVs and on websites and, and things like that. So I'm presuming that's probably part of the reason why you're having such great success in getting them to page one, because the competition is doing nothing. They're putting no the content on their website. They don't understand that by posting blogs and new content, they can increase their chances of going up higher. And that creates real results in their business. So I love the fact that you guys are working on this. This is really, really cool. Last year... When we were between clients, so by the way, we come back to Prescott regularly. We use this as home base. So when we're between clients, uh, you'll find us in Prescott. Um, when we're working on a new project, you will find us wherever our clients are. We're, we're actually willing to drive to their locations. We like to work with them. But um, last year, while we were in a downtime, we were, we were actually taking a break purposefully. Um, we had some friends get in touch with us who follow us on Instagram. And I posted a photo of Watson Lake in um, in Prescott, Arizona. It's this beautiful little lake. You know, back in New England, we'd call it a pond, but they call it a <laughs> lake here. It's surrounded by incredible granite rock formations. Um, Prescott is one of the top ten climbing spots in the United States. Um, the granite here is like the granite of Joshua Tree. So rock climbers from all over the world are interested in coming here to climb. And so I took this one photo with Instagram. And I shared it and, um, I, sorry, just got distracted. Jody's on her way out. So, no worries. but so I shared this photo on Instagram of this beautiful lake with these crazy rock spires. And I got a quick message on Instagram from my friends that currently wandering They're They're another full-time RV family. And, um, Jess, the, the, uh, the mom and the wife dropped me a note on Instagram and says, where are you? Because they were in Arizona and I said, we're, we're at Point of Rocks. And she said, is it really that beautiful there? Because they had actually heard some bad things about the park. There was a couple people who wrote a, a review about the park that they didn't like it. And so I responded to her and I said, you know, oh, it's, this is a gorgeous park. It's, it's, it's a no frills park, but you are, you are in the middle of these beautiful rocks. So her husband and herself and her three kids, they, they came to Point of Rocks the next day. And they were just staying for a night. And they extended for seven nights. So in the end, they stayed here for eight days. And they were Instagramming to their friends who were traveling with them. So three more families came the next day. So in the <laughs> end, the, the park had four families who stayed for over a week at their nightly rate of like $35 a night. So in the end, one Instagram post brought that park almost $1,000 in new business. One Instagram photo. Wow. And so we talk to our clients, you know, the people we work with, and we don't just work with RV parks, but um, we talk to them about Instagram and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. And you don't have time to do all this. So we actually show them ways 
where they can manage all of these social media platforms from one place. And that's what we like to do with them. We like to, you know, one post, one Instagram photo, you know, whatever it is you're doing should reach four or five different social media platforms, not just one. And when you do that, you've just taken your outreach from maybe 400 people who follow you on Facebook to 12,000 people between Instagram, Twitter, retweets, and everything else. And we've seen our customers grow in amazing ways. Um, we had a customer who we almost, we almost doubled her income, and the only reason we didn't double her income was she had no more sites to fill. Uh, she runs a small RV park. And in 2013, her average monthly income was $14,000 a month for the year. That was her average. It's a very small park. We redid her park. Um, and the next year, her average monthly income was $27,000 a month. So we, we uh, took her from $14,000 a month to $27,000 a month. Wow. And she's been keeping that track record up now for two and a half years. So you know, what we do is a game changer. I, I really think people, you know, we all think of websites as these static things we go to, but a lot of people don't realize, you know, a website is the cheapest way to market to the entire globe. You know, anybody from across the country can see your website, right? So it's not just the guys on the road who are, you know, we're looking for that spot for the evening. But it's the person in Germany who's planning their grand southwestern adventure in the United States. And they they find these parks with these compelling and interesting and informative sites. And that goes on to their itinerary. Yeah, absolutely. Man, it's it's so funny, you know, just hearing about the process. And I'm sure it's it strikes. It's so surprising to me just how many few campgrounds and RV parks utilize social media, I, I guess, because there's not a clear understanding of how it provides value. But when we were doing our first year on the road during Hourly America and I was looking for hourly jobs across the country, I had a certain process that I'd go through when finding small businesses who would be willing to hire me to come in and work for just the day. And I would look at their website and if they had a terrible website and, you know, I just felt inauthentic, I wouldn't even look at them. But, you know, if I wanted to go one step further, I'd go check out their social media. How are they posting? Were they Did they sound like they'd be a fun place to go and work or were they kind of just stuffy and, you know, trying to sound over professional and things like that where it doesn't really work on social media? You know, if it sounded like there was a real person behind this business, like it's Tom, you know, I want to go hang out with this guy named Tom who's running this, this garden landscaping business in Oklahoma. Sounds like a cool guy. Uh, you know, just like th that makes a big difference, especially uh, for go ahead. Oh, it's there's there's a perception. So I'm not a marketing person, but I'm learning, you know, the marketing side. I, I always look at my work as engineering, um, you know, because I've learned how to work with Google to to get people ranked. But there is a perceived value when, when what you were describing when you're looking for those jobs the first thing that you see on Google, there's this perception in the back of a lot of our minds, oh, that must be the best one. It's it's the first one on Google. It's got to be the best, right? Right. No, it might not necessarily be the best. It's uh, the people who did the site knew how to get that to position number one. But a lot of us, when we're searching for things, how often do you go to Google page two? Never. Not unless I'm Googling you know, somebody who I might work so, with or something and I want to see right. if they have any sketchy I, history. 
I saw a really funny thing posted on Twitter last year. It was by, you know, I follow other people doing design work. And, um, and they put this funny little joke up. They said, where's the best place to hide a dead body? Google page two. <laughs> That's so, so funny. So Google page two is the best place to hide a dead body. And, and they're absolutely right because I've, after I read that, I started paying attention to my own searches, not just for, you know, looking for customers, but I, I started asking myself, Hey, when you're looking for that new thing for your GoPro, did you even go to Google page two? No, no, I didn't. I didn't at all. So there is a perceived value and it's not just the younger generation who's running around with our iPhones now. Um, Jody's grandmother is in her late seventies and she's a textaholic. Um, <laughs> she can't stop texting. And you know, when she gets on a text roll with Jody, it's ridiculous. Um, you know, the technology is accessible, uh, to people of all generations and it's easy enough to use now. And folks are transitioning there, you know, for us as RVers, uh, you know, I'm a full-time RVer. I live in 200 square feet of space. Do you think I have the big good Sam directory somewhere in my RV? It's taking up way no. too much valuable real estate space. That's way too much space. Everything in my Airstream has more than one purpose. And if it doesn't get used in a month, it gets removed. Uh, we don't have the room. When, when I buy a new shirt, a shirt goes out of here. You know, we've got this tiny living space. We need to make the most out of, you know, our space. If I can find RV parks to stay out on my iPhone, why would I keep a giant multi-pound book in my Airstream or in my truck? It, it's not sensible. And so people aren't doing that anymore. I mean, you know, when was the last time you opened a Yellow Pages? What's that? <laughs> yeah. But, um... You know, so with that in mind, we've got all these RV parks that are wonderful. You know, we've stumbled across so many wonderful mom and pops and their websites are not representative of their park. Their websites have terrible photography. You know, I do not want to see um, a tire off to the side of a broken down truck in front of an old fifth wheel on the front page of your website. <laughs> It's not encouraging me to stay with you. And I use that as an example because one of our clients had that. Wow. They had the person who did their original site just randomly went through and did some point and shoot photos for him, popped them up and called it a website, you know, probably charged them 300 bucks. And, you know, if I, I accidentally pulled into their park cause it was late and I was tired of driving and I didn't look at their website. Had I looked at their website, I would have given them a pass. Yeah. But it, tur it, it turned out to be a great opportunity because the next morning I asked them, have you looked at your website? And the owner said, no. So I had my laptop with me and I pulled up the front page and I said, what's wrong with that fifth wheel? And they said, oh, my God, that was a person we actually kicked out. And oh I said, well, goodness. that's what's advertising you right now. So they actually had us stay. So I was... I was on my way somewhere else, and it was a two-week detour to fix their site. Um, but, yeah, people don't realize this is how we're finding you now. And if you walk through any RV park you're in, you know, I've talked to people as we've traveled the country all over. So far in my travels, I met one person who didn't have a laptop or desktop with them. I met him two years ago down in Black Canyon City in Arizona. And he had just retired from his tech job in Canada. 
and he wanted to completely disconnect. So he didn't have a smartphone. He didn't have a computer, you know, laptop or desktop. Um, it was his first time RVing for the winter and getting out of Canada for the winter. And he purposefully didn't carry tech with him. Every other person I've ever talked to has got some kind of technology with them on the road and they're using it. Yeah. I mean, it, RV parks, when we're searching for them, they it's so few and far in between to find a campsite that has a really great website that when they do, I show a list. I'm like, wow, they have a really nice website. You know, they're with it, you know, just because it's so rare to find. <laughs> well, but, uh, the second part, you know, when we say the perception with Google, you know, and number one is good. There's another part of perception, at least for me, and maybe this will give you a light bulb as well. When I see a well-done website for an RV park, I think it's probably a good RV park because they've taken the time to invest in reaching out to me as a guest. Absolutely. They knew that there was value in that investment. So if they took the time to invest in that to talk to me, can you imagine how cool the park's going to be? Because I know these people are willing to invest in their business. Mm -hmm. They're going to have a great park. I promise you they're going to have a really good park because they're willing to invest to get returns. They're willing to invest to say, Rich, I want you to come stay with me. And, you know, we actually pulled into a park last year. Um, we were leaving one client location and we were coming back to Prescott and it was a two day drive. So I, you know, I wasn't going to drive through the night. So I said to Jody, hey, can you look up and just see? Who's 200 miles ahead of us? And, you know, we always look for the bad sites just in case. But she found a really awesome site. And I said, you know, I'm really tired of driving. Let's go there. So we told the park manager when we got there, we absolutely love your website. That's why we're staying here. And it was a really nice park. And the manager said, we just had our website done three months ago because customers kept telling us how horrible our website was. <laughs> so... So the park manager grabbed the owner and they sat down and looked at their website and they realized they hadn't looked at it in five years. Wow. And, you know, so when we got parked, I said to Jody, darn, we missed out on working with these guys because they only redid this three months ago. But, you know, <laughs> we were somewhere else. But the people they got did a good job and they knew what they were doing. So, you know, no, no use reinventing the wheel. But so we made a decision to stay at a park. And then the park manager says to us, we'd been hearing how bad our site was from customers. And we finally took the time to take a look and we realized it was a website we wouldn't use either. Hmm. You know, so that's huge. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think a lot of these parks don't look at their own sites. People look at a website as kind of an online business card. And today it's not, you know, like we said before, it's not just a website. It's the social media um, it's the interaction, it's the user interface that drives your customer from seeing the front page and pulls them right into booking as a guest or buying your product or flying at your flight school. Cause we've worked with flight schools too. So, um, but you can actually lead customers to make a decision with a well-designed site and social media campaign. Yeah. And, I, and uh, I've been I've been hoping to run across somebody. I didn't mean to cut you off. I've been hoping to run oh, across yeah, somebody no. who was doing this type of business because I think there's just so much opportunity. I mean, there's over 20,000 RV parks in North America. And well, that's a I, lot uh, of. Go ahead. Oh, I 
you know, I'm sitting here sharing this with you on your podcast. I don't care if, you know, next week people listen to your podcast and five more people decide to go work with RV parks. There are more than enough RV parks for, you know, 15 design companies to work for the next 15 years. Um, the biggest challenge is, you know, getting these park owners to understand. But I, I'm so confident about the need that I'm not worried about talking publicly to people. I've had friends say, don't tell people the things going on behind your business. And I'm like, I, I wouldn't really look at these guys as competitors. You know, I've got two major competitors that I really admire their work, RV Geeks and Big Rig Media. When we find a website that's been done by RV Geeks or Big Rig Media, we don't contact that park. They've already got an awesome website. They've got an online presence that does what it needs to do. And if anything else, you know, when I see those websites, that's a park I'm probably going to go stay at if I'm in that area because I already know, you know, the kind of work that those two companies do. And I know that they work with good parks. And, um, yeah, the, you know, the small mom and pops and even the big resorts, they, they need to change how they're reaching out to all of us because if they're not reaching out to us, we're, we're going to drive past them because there are plenty of other opportunities and plenty of great places to stay. Absolutely. And even even just uh, talking about competition, in this sense, competition could actually potentially help just because if there's a there's a few more people out there helping RV parks figure out that they need to design better websites, then they're going to be yeah. hearing about this several times. And then at some point, they're going to realize, you know what, I've been hearing about this all the time. I realize how big of an issue this is for campgrounds having bad uh, landing pages and websites. I need to finally get mine fixed. And so it actually could just create kind of, I guess, a snowball effect where they're all starting to realize, hey, this is uh, really having a huge impact on my business. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I've pointed out to clients, you know, um, having your own website and being able to manage it, look at your statistics and even do updates, which is what we teach our customers to do. Having your own website, you're branding yourself. You're not depending on a good Sam or a Passport America or another one of these groups to send you a customer. Um, you are taking control of what you want said about your park. And, you know, that's going to go a long way toward, you know, getting those good reviews on RV park reviews and Campendium and the rest of them. You know, they're taking ownership. Uh, it used to be, and, you know, web designers used to hold people hostage. Um, oh, well, I want a page updated. Well, that's going to be $400. Um, so I understand hesitation of some of these places because they've been burned and they've been burned by people who don't know how to do search engine optimization and don't talk to them about everything and they only get a partial solution. Um, so that's one thing you got to get past that with the park owners um, is to show them, no, we're, we're actually going to change your business. This is not an online business card. But at the same moment, while we're doing good work for, for you, um, you're going to need to do some work as well. We tell all of our clients, if you are not reaching out to your guests, if you're not using social media, if you're not blogging, if you're not updating things, this is not going to work for you. And they, they have to do some work. This is, you know, lots of companies do marketing, but when you've traveled to the small mom and pops, there's not much marketing out there. Uh, some of them pay for yellow pages ads. Um, we had one who was paying to be in the yellow pages every year and it was not cheap. And I said to him, so the yellow pages is local, right? And I said, yeah. I said, so you have a lot of locals staying in your park? No. 
why why are you advertising the yellow pages i'm confused <laughs> cuz they they were paying for something that didn't reach you know you and i are traveling right now you know we're heading to their town but we don't have their yellow pages so we're looking for rv park near flathead lake and that's what we type into google or that's what we look for on campendium or that's what we look for in rv park reviews but um you know, having their own presence means they've got control. They've got so much control over how people are going to perceive them. Absolutely. And if I was just going to say, how have you been finding most of these clients because you've actually went to their RV park and realized their website's not any good, and you can just pitch them on doing some type of, uh, you know, doing their redoing their website, helping them with their SEO. Um, and we, how many of you got? We do like multiple that? things. We do multiple things. So. We do email campaigns. Um, last year, we did postcard campaigns. We sent out a postcard with a full-sized screenshot on the front of the postcard from my iPhone. I, it was exactly the size of my iPhone, and it had the front page of each RV park. So we went independently and got an in, uh, uh, iPhone screen capture of, um, of each park's website. And on the back, we said... If you can't read what's on the front of this postcard, imagine how your guests feel. So we were screenshotting from the iPhone websites that we couldn't read because they weren't mobile friendly. So, you know, I'm only 44 years old. My eyes aren't that bad. And if I can't read your website, I'm hitting the back button. So we sent hundreds of those out last year and we got three clients out of that. So that was actually worthwhile because they had never thought to look at their website on their own mobile device. And they all had their own mobile devices. And so the moment they went and looked at their website on the mobile device, they said, oh, my God. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, so we've done the email campaigns. We've done um, uh, full letters to them. We've stayed at parks and then contacted them afterward. We've tried it all. Um, and it is difficult getting in touch with park owners sometimes because, as you know, in your travels, a lot of parks are run by work campers, not park mm -hmm. owners. Have you noticed that? Yep. And work campers are often unpaid. They only get a free site. And sometimes they think of themselves as the guardian for the owners of the park. So they'll throw your postcard away or they'll delete your email um, because they're protecting the owner from another solicitor. But um, when we get in touch with parks, we get in touch with them because we know that they've got a decent park. We know that they've got a terrible web presence and we know that we can add to their bottom line. If we, you know, we don't approach parks that are like 20 or 30 sites, they can't afford us and we know they can't afford us. Um, they're not making enough revenue with only 30 sites. So we actually have a cost model for ourselves um, of, you know, what the limit is. Like we can look at a park with 50 sites, but we're probably going to be their entire marketing budget for the year. Fortunately though, our websites for most of our clients usually pay them back within two to three months time. Uh, our latest, uh, website client, their website paid them back in one week. Wow. And so, I'm assuming yeah, most, for most web design and SEO and the kind of work you're doing for these types of sites, you're probably looking at anywhere from 2,500 to 5,000 approximately. Uh, we start at 7,500 actually. Oh wow. Um, five, well, here's the deal. My um, my Airstream mechanic charges me $105 an hour. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
I have a master's degree in economics. I'm formerly a network engineering uh, executive, um, and I have spent the last 20 years of my life in the mobile business. Uh, we know what we're doing, and the basically a standard website for us is over a 100-hour job, and we bill at $75 an hour. So 100 times 75 is what? $7,500. Um, we include uh, professional photography uh, of the parks mm. that we work for, um, photographic licensing um, for a standard uh, banner on a website, uh, according to um, PhotoQuote, which is a photographer's industry database that gives you price averages, a, um, a standard banner image uh, if you are licensing from a photographer, should be anywhere from $450 to $750 for that one image on your website for one year. All of the photography that we do for our clients is included with a full license. They can use all of the images we produce for any other marketing they want to. So, And we usually spend over a day of our time photographing their park, uh, doing short videos of their park. If we were to actually charge our standard photo licensing, they'd spend more than $7,500 on the photography work we do for them alone. So they're getting an awesome package. You guys also do you drone know, footage. We do drone footage. But, you know, a $2,500 website – so I'm going to – this has nothing to do with RVing now. This has to do with the web design industry. Uh, a typical client is going to take more than a week of your time, uh, usually a couple of weeks. Clients who want a one or two thousand dollar website—that's what they want to spend. But they actually want a ten thousand dollar website from you. Um, they want e-commerce. They want search engine optimization. Um, you know, they want video. They want social media. Um, your time has value. If you do a two thousand dollar website and you find yourself and your partner doing a good job, so you're still working on this product for two or three weeks, you're getting minimum wage for what you're doing. You're not going to buy a new RV. You're not ever going to buy a home again. You're not going to buy a replacement truck to pull your RV. You have to actually sit down and ask, what's the value I've added? Our most recent client isn't an RV park. Um, they spent $7,500 with us, and their package should have been higher. $7,500 is our starting rate. Um, they own a dispensary in Colorado. OK, um, so, you, you know, that's that's a big new business in Colorado, yeah, right? Right. Um, they wanted 100 extra customers a month um, in their first month. Their new website delivered them over 400 new customers. Um, bottom line, the website that they developed was worth over twenty thousand dollars in new business in the first month of launching it. So they not only paid for their website. They actually pof, uh, pocketed profit above and beyond their normal. The, the owner of the business dropped me a note at the end of last month and said it was the best month they've ever had in six years of being in business. Wow. So, you know. Which makes you feel insanely makes, good, right? Um, it, it makes me reconsider the fact that I should, <laughs> you know, I was being generous with them. But. Bottom line, when we do all, we actually give a breakdown to our clients of our, you know, what we do. 
when we first start researching for our clients, we spend 10 hours of our time researching their competition and their comp competition's search engine optimization. We've got tools where we can find out what keywords they're using, if they're doing pay-per-click. So I've got 10 hours invested just in figuring out who your competitors are and how we're going to beat them for you. Um, when we quote people 100 hours, I can't tell you the last website that we did in 100 hours. It's more like 150 or 200 hours. So it's still cheap. We're actually raising our rates this fall. And um, if we exclude some businesses, you know, anyone who asks me the price first ends the conversation with me. Because if your first question to me is, um, what's your website going to cost? They're not going to be somebody I want to work with. They're, they're, they're worried about, you know, their first question is cost. Instead of and, value. Like what's the value, right? Yeah. Yep. And, you know, um, if we all bought cars based on cost, we'd all be driving Yugos. <laughs> and we're not all driving Yugos. I, I had a person, I, I was frustrated a couple months ago, and I had an accountant call me, and they asked me, what does it cost to, to make a website? And so the, um, the back of my neck got a little warm because I'd been asked that question too many times that week. And I said to him, let me ask you an alternate question. What does car cost? And he, he paused for a second. He said, well, it depends on the type. And I said, well, you just answered yourself on your question to me about what a website costs. It depends on what you want in it. So if you want e-commerce and you want me to come in and photograph all of your products, and I have to spend three days photographing your products, um, a professional commercial photographer would charge you several thousand dollars a day. And, you know, we've done commercial photo shoots for AAA, uh, AAA magazine, um, for Merit Engineering, for Zeisman Communications. And when we do those shoots for them and they want the licensing handed over for all of their marketing campaigns going forward, that's several thousand dollars a day. So when we actually include that in our packages for our RV park clients, we explain to them what they could have paid. And we can actually show them what they could have paid. So, you know, we're, we're kind of a one-stop. We've got a, um, a wonderful branding expert who just joined us. He's not an RVer. Um, we've got another fantastic SEO guru. We've got a copywriter who works for us on the side. So um, we're, we're not just two people in an Airstream. <laughs> Yeah, and I think we I'm sure we could have an entire episode on just pricing alone for client work cuz and I'm sure you've come across a lot of fellow RVers who are making their income off of a service-based business just because from Absolutely. a logistical standpoint it's way easier than a product standpoint. I've met very I, only one off the top of my head that I can think of that's actually f shipping physical products out on the road just for obvious reasons. Um yeah. space being the least uh, or probably the most. Anyway, well, go ahead. I tried it in 2006. So the other part of 2006, um, before Technomedia was around and before everybody else was around, there is a book called The Digital RV, which was t written in 2005 by me. Um, I took it out of publication a couple of years ago because the Technomads are doing a great job and I don't want to do that. <laughs> but when I first got sick in 2005, I had to occupy my time. 
So while I was traveling the country, I was actually selling a book called The Digital RV. It was mobile technology for RVers. It was before smartphones. I had this portable router that you plugged a Verizon 1X data card into. So when I went to Airstream rallies, I'd wake up with people camped around my Airstream using my Wi-Fi <laughs> because I was one of the only people on the road doing that. So, um, you know, uh, so we, I, I had that out there and I was ordering, um, the book and carrying it around in my Airstream and selling it at rallies and shipping it to people. And that is not a business you want to do from an RV. So that's a big part of why I said, I am just letting this go. <laughs> yeah. So, I so, but, if, uh, it was a nightmare to do that. Oh, I can I can imagine. I, if somebody is trying to figure out, because there's a lot of people in uh, this space, just in the past couple of years, I feel like there's been a huge surgence of people that I'm sure you've noticed too, who are transitioning to this lifestyle. I'm sure over the past 10 years, it's been a, a steady curve. And then I feel like over the past yeah. couple of years, it's just, it's kind of started to blow up a little bit. There's a lot it, of people it, who are... It is blowing up. I, um, you know... When I was first traveling, I had over 42,000 followers a month on my website. And, um, you know, I was extremely sick at the time. And I, I joked with friends on the road. I said, I think that they're kind of treating me like the TV show Survivor. They're waiting to see when I get voted off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I never got voted off. So uh, but I, I stopped blogging as much about the travel when I became stationary with the, the, with the gallery and stuff. So I understand the loss in readership there. But you know, there were only a couple full-timer RV blogs out there in 2006, and I was one of them. Um, now, when you look it up, it's pages and pages and pages and pages. Everybody's doing it. Um, and I'm meeting so many families homeschooling their kids on the road and working from the road. And it's it's pretty darned incredible. I, you know, I felt like the odd man out 10 years ago because I was 34 years old. Um, I'm still the youngest guy in most of the parks we go to, you know, um, and when we work, work with the RV resorts, those are all 55 plus. We're not even supposed to be there. We're kids, <laughs> you know, and Jody's 36. She's really feel she's like, it's like visiting my grandparents. <laughs> but, um, you know, now I'm running into younger and younger families and it's awesome. Um, it's really interesting. And, you know, some of these families that I meet, I'm like, you've got three kids and two adults. How are you guys not killing each other in that small space? <laughs> yeah. I couldn't imagine being a teenager with my two brothers riding around in a fifth wheel or motorhome. I mean, yep. we struggled all having our own bedrooms growing up. And anyway, that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but any, so if somebody's looking at this and they're, you know, in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and they're trying to figure out their transition, because there's a lot of those people and I've talked, I've had those conversations and they want to get into some client work. What kind of advice would you give them? Okay. So as far as people wanting to start out with this, so like, I know you were surprised at my price that I just told you, and we can talk more about that after. But, um, you know, you do have to, if you're doing this work, you need to price, um, to pay yourself, um, whatever business you're in. So in the case of our business, from the time that we start talking to a customer to the time that we deliver a website to them, we probably have four weeks of time invested with them because we do this whole discovery process with them. And that is over four to five hours of meetings to find out what they really want. Because people say, I want a website. 
So you build them a website. They didn't say, I want search engine optimization. I want social media. I want this. I want that. That's all a time consumption part. You know, every one of those things takes time. Um, every time you answer an email from them with a question, it takes time. And if you're not pricing to cover two hours of emails between you and them every month and five hours of meetings to find out what it is they really want and you go ahead and charge them $2,000, you're going to be really resentful toward them because they got 160 hours of your time in a month and you got $2,000 for that. Man, get a job at Walmart. You're going to get paid better. So people forget to value their time. And I'm a big proponent of this now. I actually finished um, the 10K boot camp. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No, I haven't. But um, it is a web designer's um, educational uh, program, and it's a 10-week-long program. And we were charging less for our sites before. We, we, we were charging only $4,500 for our park websites two years ago. And we make our clients so much money and our clients tell us we make them so much money. So, you know, if I say to you, invest $5 with me, I'm going to give you $20 back at the end of the month. And then next month you're going to make another 20 and the month after you're going to make another 20. Is that $5 really expensive? No, no, you just reached an entire new audience. You got a whole new group of guests or you got a whole new group of customers. Um, the value of that outreach is massive. So you really need to, you know, you need to look at your hourly rate and ask yourself what you want to make. In our case, we pay a copywriter. So I have to think about what they charge me per hour. And she's $65 an hour and she writes great copy. Um, we pay another SEO expert when I don't have time. Um, we pay a person who knows branding when I don't have time. You know, they're not going to work with me if they're not making a reasonable amount of money, you know, you're not going to have your RV park open if you're not making a reasonable amount of money. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's the fun part of capitalism, right? <laughs> but so I took this 10 K program and I found out, you know, I realized, you know, when we said we're building your website, we included SEO, we included social media. Well, to train you on your social media takes me four or five hours. I wasn't paying myself for that. I lumped it under the umbrella called, um, called website design. And when I broke it down, you know, I wasn't paying myself $12 an hour when it was all said and done. And, you know, you're never going to get a new truck to pull your RV uh, at $12 an hour. You're working a job that you worked when you were in college. So, um, so we've adjusted our prices this year because of that program, and we're actually doing better. Um, I read an awesome – so here's one thing that, that absolutely should make this podcast. I want everyone listening to this to go check out Madtown Agency. This is a web development company that I discovered a couple of years ago because I was just looking for good web designers because I wanted to know what the really high-end guys were doing. And I found a blog post from Madtown Agency. They're out of Wisconsin or Michigan. I can't remember which. And these guys won't do a project unless the, the starting price is $14,000 to have the conversation. Um, they wrote a blog post a couple of years ago, how to increase your prices by 500% and make more money. 
this was a four-person team originally, and they were doing one and two thousand dollar websites. So they needed five, six, seven customers a month to pay the four people, and the five, six, seven customers a month were people who were really cheap, who devalued their work, um, who wanted a ten thousand dollar website for one thousand dollars. And we're never going to be satisfied with a $2,000 website or a $1,000 website because they wanted their website to be Amazon and they wanted to pay you like an indentured servant. So these guys fired all of those customers. They retooled their own marketing and they only started talking to bigger companies and they said they, they're very blunt on their website. If your first question to us is price, don't call us. If you want us to do an RFP, a request for pricing, don't call us. We're not that company. And after I read them is when I got really, I said, I'm going to really seriously build us into an agency. We're going to be an agency based out of an Airstream, but, and we are, we are an awesome agency. We have not had a failure with a single client and we have 100% satisfaction. So when people are thinking about pricing, the other part, you know, if I'm going to make money on the road, are you good at this? If you're not good at this, don't you dare charge somebody for this. Um, from my days of owning the gallery and selling my landscape photography, I had so many people come in and ask me about portrait photography. And you know what I said to them? No, I suck at that. I'm a great landscape photographer. I knew nothing about portrait photography. I'm not even going to bill them $50 for me experimenting. I'm not going to do it. I'm not good at it. Don't charge people as a professional if you're not a professional. Um, during that time, I had so many people ask me that I started taking classes. And over the course of several years, I spent over $40,000 taking classes, learning how to do lighting. I took Zach Arias's lighting photography class. I went to a Joe McNally uh, seminar, who's another famous photographer. And I spent several years, and then I did start offering portrait photography. And now if you ask me to do portrait photography, photography for you, we will do awesome, gorgeous portraits for you. And they're going to cost because I invested a lot in learning that. But to the people out there who, you know, want to do something like that on the road, if you're not good at it, you need to tell your customers up front, hey, man, you're an experiment. So this is going to be, I'm going to do this cheaper for you. But set the expectation and be an honest business person. And, you know, that's what we do with the work we do now. We're, we're very upfront with people. We break it down. We give them the list of what we're going to do. And if they want to take that list and shop it to another design agency, to see if they can get a cheaper price, go for it. Because I already know for a fact that other agency, if they actually say they can do it for cheaper, they're not going to do a good job for you. I, I already know that. So, you know, you need to be real confident with what you're selling. And that's, you don't have to be an RVer for that. In any job, you got to bring your best forward. If you're not bringing your best forward, you shouldn't be trying to make a living off of that for people. Is that's you're setting an expectation for your client that you can't meet. Man, drop the mic. That's such a such a, <laughs> such good advice, Rich. I mean, we 
a, oh, a couple of years ago, I had no, we had no client work and, and we were just kind of getting started on the road. We didn't really know what we were going to do. And we spent, uh, the, the first year on the road, just learning videography. And my best friend in college was a videographer. So I knew they had a potential to make good money doing that. Um, you know, good dollars per hour, but also knew there was a huge learning curve. He had internships, he went to college for it. There was a lot of time that he spent invested in learning how to be a good videographer. And, we we went out, started shooting this documentary. We were reading online articles, YouTube tutorials. We were shooting two or three days a week, volunteering for free at conferences across the country, just saying, hey, we're new at this, but if you guys need a videographer, we'll come in and film. Maybe we can work with your film team. They're more experienced. We can learn all the cable wrangling, all the light, you know, all these things that we didn't know how to do. And then we it never really crossed our mind that we would start doing freelance video uh, and then nine months in, we got our first client and we were going to charge him, I think, $100 to do a half day oh video. God. Well, just stick with me. We had never, <laughs> you know, we'd never done it. And I'm just being open about this. Like, so he was a, he was a sheriff of a, he was a, he was a chief of police in uh, Santa Cruz, California. And he had a website, the personal blogging thing that he's doing on the side. He wanted about video done. And so he was a friend too. And we had never done paid video. So I was like, oh, thinking oh, a couple hundred bucks. Like if I could get paid doing that, then that would be really cool. And he's like, no, I know how much video is worth. I've seen the video that you guys produced because we met him at a conference we went to. And the, we gave him some free headshots and, and the free uh, – he saw the video that we produced from that. He's like, I know what y'all's work is worth. And thankfully, he was kind and gracious, and he said $1,000. And I felt like we were getting nice. away with highway robbery. But, you know, now that it's a year no, later – go ahead. Oh, um, so we do videography as well, and I've, I've watched yours. You, you kick my butt up the street and down the street. So we do very simple videos for some of our clients, and we're working on getting better. But like – you know, looking at what you've done, if we get busier and bigger, I already know a guy that I'm going to call for when I want the high-end video work. It's you. Um, so we do some simple video for clients, but even simple video for clients. Have you ever looked up, because we did over 30 minutes for our most recent client, the Bud Farm. Some of it was really difficult because it was inside their grow facility and there's crazy fans. And, you know, no matter what we did with the mics, we had the fan background. You know how that is <laughs> yeah. when, when you just get that bad. But we still did 32 minutes of video for them. And I just on a lark, I, I went out and I said, what does it cost to produce a 30 minute infomercial? OK, so, uh, you know, not a high quality infomercial or anything. The starting price range for a 30-minute infomercial is a minimum of $15,000. That was the cheapest production company I could find who does that. So, well, you're shooting for several hours, but then you spend days editing, don't you? Oh, yeah. You Dang. know, for I mean, for yeah. a two to three minute video, it's at least, depending on what it is, at least a two day edit, probably. Okay. So photography, we've done weddings and we've done some awesome weddings. I mean, gorgeous stuff. You know, we started at $8,000 there, but I don't want to do weddings anymore because they're nightmares. And this is the reason why. Um, we did a 12 hour wedding. Okay. So people will say, wow, you made $8,000 for a 12 hour wedding. No, I didn't. I employ a second shooter who um, cost me uh, $25 an hour that day. They were learning and, you know, so they got $25 an hour for 12 hours. I paid two lighting assistants $20 an hour um, for 12 hours. So if, if you total all that up, I've already spent a lot of money on two lighting assistants and a second shooter, right? 
Um, I spent 12 hours that day shooting. I didn't eat breakfast, lunch, or dinner. I, I missed it all um, because I didn't want to miss anything for my customer. So I was doing little snacks here and there. Um, for every one hour photographing, I spend three hours post-processing, selecting, retouching, and editing. These are all things that were done in the film days and are still done in digital. Just because Photoshop is there doesn't mean it made it easier. I still have to select the photos that suck and the photos that are going to amaze you. And so I shot 12 hours. So if we say I spend three hours post-production for every hour of photographing, then that 12-hour um, wedding took 12 hours of my time plus 36 hours of my time behind the scenes. I just did a full work week of work for you. What should I be paid for an entire work week of my time plus paying my employees? That's why, that's why weddings are eight and 14 and $20,000 because Everyone says, oh, wow, well, you just shot for four hours for half a wedding or whatever. No, that's not four hours. That's 12 hours of post-production plus four hours of shoot time. That's 16 hours of my time. So, you know, and that's what I like to think about all the behind the scenes. They say, I'm going to charge you $200 for a one-hour photo shoot, and I'm going to give you a disc with everything on it. Oh my God, you just, you cut your own throat because you need 60 customers a month to make a living wage, you know, and you're working around the clock and you're killing yourself and you're going to start to hate what you're doing, you know, because you're not getting returns. So the one really awesome thing that I took away from that 10 K program, the guy who owns the business, his name is Brent Weaver and he's an awesome web designer too. And he said, we do high-value work for high-value pay. And after I listened to that from him, I was like, I haven't been valuing my own work. And I, I you know, um, the work we do for our customers and how happy we make our customers and how much more money we make our customers, that's a super valuable thing because there's not a lot of people who do that for them. So, so yeah, you got to value yourself. I'm taking a lot of mental notes. Well, <laughs> I, we went we went over a little bit, Rich, but that's okay. I, this has been this has been awesome. Uh, the last question is, how do, what does success look like for you in this lifestyle that you've chosen to live in the airstream, do your own thing, combine uh, photography, network, uh, travel, all these different variables? What does success success look like for you? Success is on its way. We're we're building here. Um, I would like to have a small home again um, where I can be a couple months a year. And then the rest of the year, I'd like to be traveling and working with my customers. Um, one of the people, one of the people who's really impressed me, the guy who got me to first start showing my photography, uh, his name is Bert Gildart. And I met him because he wrote for Airstream Life magazine when I did. And uh, Bert invited me to his house in Montana uh, July of 2006, so 10 years ago. Bert was a Glacier Park Ranger for 20 years. He's a writer. He's an author of dozens and dozens of Falcon Press hiking guides. He's in his 70s. Um, he does adventure kayaking with his wife, and he and Janie are on the road 
nine months out of the year and home three months out of the year. Um, he's in his late seventies and still go trucking right along. And, uh, he makes his living, um, telling people about amazing places. He's photographed for some of the big name magazines and he's listed with, um, Getty images. He's, they've got tens of thousands of his photos, um, listed at Getty. If, if I could be Bert when I grow up, I'd be a really happy guy. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, and Bert, Bert was the guy who jumped on me in 2006 and said, why aren't you selling your photography? And I said to him, I'm just an amateur, Bert. And he said, no, you're not. He said, I've been following your website. And he says, you have a photographer's eye. And I was like, I'm an engineer, not a photographer, man. (laughs) You know, I'm not an artist. So don't, don't even try to say that kind of stuff to me. And Bert rode me about it that year. And he says, you need to present your photography to other places. So, um, you know, I, you know, it blew me away that such a thing, you know, when I met him, he had actually bought my, uh, my book, digital RV and, um, and, uh, he wanted me to sign it. And I realized that I had several Falcon press guides written by him in my Airstream when I met him. And I, I was very embarrassed and said, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I said, you don't need my signature, but I do need your signature. And why are you excited to meet me? I'm very excited to meet you. So, you know, just getting to know Bert over the years, like the other day I put up an announcement on Facebook, what's happening with my health to, to keep my friends up to date. I, I had a call from Bert within 15 minutes. <laughs> so, you know, talk about making an awesome friend a decade ago because I was RVing. Uh, but yeah, if my lifestyle could be close to Bert's, I, I'd be really happy as, um, he and Janie, um, last year they spent the summer in the Shenandoahs writing a new Falcon press guide on hiking the Shenandoahs. Um, they spent some time driving the Nache trace, Notches trace parkway, um, you know, in Tennessee and Mississippi, um, doing articles on that. Um, they spend their winters in death Valley and Bert will usually spend a month or two there cause he likes writing there. So all the stuff from their travels during the summer, he spends his winter there writing his books, man. I mean, who wouldn't want to be that guy, right? <laughs> success looks like Bert. Su- success is Bert. And <laughs> I love Bert. So if Bert hears this, Bert sounds like a Muppet sometimes too. He's so <laughs> funny, you know, when we talk, but, um, you know, a couple of years ago I went mountain biking with him in Borrego Springs through the, uh, sand dunes out there. And when I got back to the Airstream, so I was 42 at the time, I got to the Airstream and I said to Jody, why is it a 75 year old man just kicked my ass up one side of the hill and down the other side? <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> Cause Bert is, you know, that is a guy who is never, ever going to stop. And same with his wife, Janie. They just keep going. And they're a pair of amazing people. And if, you know, if I could have my business work the way Bert's business works, I'd be, you know, I don't need a giant mansion or anything. I need a happy little log cabin again and my Airstream. And I, the, the one other thing that I didn't say through all this I love working with my clients, the people who I work with and we're very selective. I really dig all of them and I become friends with all of them. That's so it's really hard to charge them for a maintenance package after the first year because we've become such good friends. And then I feel really weird going, so it's time for your yearly renewal. 
and nobody ever gets bothered at it. They they know it's coming, so that's great. But uh, I always feel kind of awkward because we've gotten to know them so well because we work so close with them. But if any of my customers are listening to this, I love you guys, all of you. So <laughs> that's awesome, Rich. Where can uh, where yep. can people learn more about you? Um, so if they go to rlcdesign.net, that's the business side of us. But don't just look at the business side. Um, I've had a website that's been going since 2006, and it's gone through multiple iterations. If you just look up the Airstream Chronicles or go to the airstreamchronicles.com, um, you'll notice that I haven't been posting a lot because I'm busy with my customers. But if you look back in previous years, you will find tons of trip reports and cool places to go and cool places to camp. I, you know, I've got basically 10 years worth of information about living full time, the realities of it, um, the cool places I've visited, what it's like being sick and traveling. Um, you know, and so don't take that away. You know, don't have a takeaway as a downer, the, the bad <laughs> stuff that happened. Um, whenever I tell people the story, I'm like, I'm, I'm not asking you to feel bad for me. I'm just telling you this, this is the crap that went on and, you know, I'm dealing with a new facet of it. So next week I get to have a surgery. It's a little scary. Um, I don't know how it's going to work out. Hopefully the guy who's doing the anesthesia is not, you know, paying attention to a football game and everything will be okay. But, um, you know, I, I don't write too much about that on the sites anymore because I don't want people to think it's a downer, but it is part of my day to day life managing this. So, um, I, I'm glad that I, you know, I said to people way back when the Airstream was originally my lifeboat and I'm so glad I had it. Um, but it's, it's way, it, the Airstream now is not a lifeboat. It's, it's my business and it's my home. So, man, well, thank you so much and, and for, go ahead. What is it? Oh, and I said, it's a pretty home. <laughs> it's all shiny and silver. It is. I love it. I I desperately want an, an airstream, and uh, I'm constantly planning that seed in Alyssa's head. But thanks so much for being <laughs> on the podcast with me, Rich. I I loved recording this episode. It's one of my favorites. I can already tell. Um, but and you're awesome. I really appreciate. It. I hope we get to hang out. Uh, maybe in Prescott. Well, or I want to. I want to meet you guys. Well, once I get these things out of the way in the next couple of weeks, I've got a potential new client. So we're going to be. Um, I'm really bummed out because I was hoping to be in court, uh, Colorado next week, but we've got to go back up to Colorado Springs. So as soon as the surgery and medical stuff is done and they tell me that I can go somewhere, the Airstream is getting hooked up and we're going to be in Colorado Springs end of August or September. So awesome. So we'll we're, be back on the road. So we're if we can cross paths, I'll look for you. Totally. <laughs> we're tentatively planning an, an October in Colorado. So. Well, we have to be there in September as well. September 15th, I'm actually going to a conference for that program I told you about, the 10K program. Yeah. Um, they're having a get-together for all of us September 15th in downtown Denver. So we've already made reservations with our Airstream for um, one of the state parks that looks awesome. And we didn't reserve with any of the RV parks because we're going to be approaching several of them because their websites are horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to, we're going to try to kill two birds with one stone. So we might be there September and October if we're lucky. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, man. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. Cool. Heath. 
Hello. Thank you guys for listening to Rich and I talk for over an hour. I couldn't cut us off at 45 minutes. What Rich was saying was just too valuable. And I was I was getting a lot from him. He was kind of, uh, it, was, it was really just for me. I was being selfish the last 15 minutes of that podcast. But I thank you for continuing to listen. If you're running any kind of service-based business from the road, I'd love to hear from you on Twitter. Give me a shout at Heath Paget, and I'd love to talk with you and possibly bring you on the podcast to talk a lot of the RV entrepreneurs that I've encountered are running some type of service client-based business from the road. And it's super interesting, and I don't think we can have too much conversation around how to do that well. Uh, and if you want to grab the show notes from this episode, head on over to heathpaget.com forward slash episode 24. That's episode spelled out, and then the number 24. And you can check out all the links and all the references we mentioned in today's show. I'll see you guys next week on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.